Father, we thank you for the opportunity you give us to minister God's word. Thank you for supernatural utterance by the power of the indwelling spirit and supernatural understanding by the power of that same spirit that indwells us here today. We declare that your purpose for this meeting and for our lives shall be fulfilled, that we will not just hear, but we will understand. This word will take root, it will grow and produce fruit in our lives that will bring glory to you and fulfill our joy. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. I want you to turn with me, please, to John chapter 16. And we're going to read from verse 23 to verse 27. And then we're going to contemplate some of the things Jesus said there. And, and I believe that God is going to help us grow in our understanding and knowledge of him. John 16, 23 to 27. Let's read together. And in that day, okay, so say that day. That means there's a day different from the day Jesus was in. He was pointing to another day that was coming. In that day, you will ask me, oh, wait a minute, a day when, when, when I will not ask Jesus for anything? That, that, I'm not sure I like that day. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Next verse, let's keep going. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and that word literally means ask and keep asking, pray and keep praying. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming. Say, so the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. Time is coming, Jesus said, you know what? I'm just going to reveal the Father to you. I'm going to just help you to know the Father. In that day, say that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. So in that day, I'm not saying to you that I will pray to the Father on your behalf. Hmm. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. Amen. So in these verses, we hear Jesus saying some things that, that we need to pause and consider. Because here Jesus is saying there's a day coming when we won't ask him nothing. Well, every day we want to be able to ask Jesus something, right? But Jesus said a day is coming when you won't ask me nothing. And then he says there's a day coming when, when he's saying to you, I'm not saying to you that I will ask the Father for you or that I'll pray for you. So that, that when we read it in that version, doesn't, doesn't feel good to me if, if, if that's all there is to that. And it seems to contradict other passages of scripture which tell us that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us, right? And that scripture that says, don't sin, but if you sin, you have an advocate with the Father. Amen? Jesus Christ. So there are so many scriptures that tell us that Jesus is, is, is our intercessor. He lives to intercede for us. He's our advocate. And it's good to know that, that, that Jesus is praying for me. But yet Jesus said there's a day coming when he won't, he, we won't ask him nothing and he won't necessarily be praying for us. What does he mean? 
Okay, so let's read it in another translation because the other translation will re remove the confusion and help us to grasp exactly what the Lord is saying. So I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. And here's what the New Living Translation says. No, it's, it's actually from the Passion Translation, excuse me. For here is eternal truth. When that time comes, that day, when that time comes, when that day comes, you won't need to ask me for anything. Now, okay. So you won't need to ask me for anything. So Jesus is in a particular time and place, and he says there's a time coming when you won't need to ask me for anything. Now, of course, the time in which Jesus was speaking, the disciples felt that if they wanted anything, they had to ask Jesus. Right? So they went to Jesus for everything. And Jesus said, a time is coming when, hey, you disciples, you won't need to ask me for anything. Hmm. But instead, you will go directly to the Father and you will ask him for anything you desire and he will give it to you. Do you see the shift? There's a day coming when you won't need to ask me for anything, but you will be able to go directly to the Father. And you will be able to ask the Father for what you desire and the Father will answer you. So Jesus is talking about a shift that is about to take place in the kingdom. A shift in terms of our relationship, not with him per se, but with the Father. There's a shift that is going to happen in that day that will permit us to be able to go to the Father and it won't be necessary for Jesus to pray for us. Now, let me pause because we live in a time when there are many, many ministers who are building their ministry on making it seem that the only way the people can get an answer to prayer a miracle or a breakthrough, they have to come to the minister and it is the minister who must pray for them or their answer will not come. Hmm? There's so, so many ministries that make it seem that the only way you're going to get your breakthrough is if I break the curse over your life. The only way you're going to get an answer is if I pray for you. The only way that curse is going to end if I, because of my anointing, Break the yoke. In other words, if you are going to get the breakthrough, if you're going to get the miracle, if you're going to get the change, then you got to come to me and let me pray for you. And there's so many people that will go all over the world looking for a particular minister to pray for them because they feel unless this minister pray for me or if only this minister prays for me, then my answer will come. And here Jesus is saying, there is a day coming when, 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 when I, even I, it will not be necessary for even I to pray for you. Because there's a day coming, he says, when you are going to be able to go to the Father yourself. Oh, are you getting me? There is a shift, Jesus said, that's about to happen. There's a day that is coming when nobody will need to pray for you. Well, nobody will need to talk to God for you. Not to say it's not good for people to pray for you, but there's a day coming when you will be able to pray to the Father yourself. And the Father will hear you when you pray, even if Jesus didn't pray for you. Here's the good news. That day 
that he was talking about is now today. The, the day he was pointing to was this day that we live in. That day has become this day, and in this day, you can approach the Father yourself, and you can talk to the Father about anything you choose to. That was not always the case. Moses was a man mightily used of God. Moses met God in the burning bush. Moses met God on Mount Sinai. God appeared in, in smoke and, and fire, and Moses had all of these, 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 these tremendous supernatural experiences. Abraham was called the friend of God. Abraham spoke with angels and possibly even the pre-incarnate Christ. John the Baptist, it was said by Jesus, of all men born of women, there was none greater than John. And Jesus then went on to say, but the least in the kingdom is greater than John, which means the least in the kingdom is greater than Moses. The least in the kingdom is greater than Abraham. That day is so much different from the day of Moses and Abraham of John the Baptist. Because in that day, they yearned for what we have today. But they did not experience it. It's a new day in the kingdom. Because in the day of Moses and in the day of Abraham and in the day of John the Baptist, no man, none of these great men ever were permitted to enter into the Holy of Holies. They never entered the Holy of Holies. In their day, they could not meet the Father and commune with the Father at will and spend all day in the Father's presence at will. They could not talk to the Father face to face at will. The people could not approach the Father too closely. They had to remain in the distance. On one occasion, when they dared come too close, they died. 3,000 of them were destroyed the day the law was given. There were all kinds of rules and regulations and restrictions that were set in their way that prevented them from drawing too close to the Father. There always had to be a distance. And for their protection, there was a veil that separated the earthly Holy of Holies from them. If they wanted to talk to the Father, they had to go through the high priest. And only once a year, he could actually get into the presence of the earthly Holy of Holies. And even then, he had to follow so many rules, and he couldn't stay there too long. And the Russian do what he had to do and come out. It was so in their day. But now Jesus is saying, all of that is about to change. We're about to move from their day to that day, which has become today for you and me. When did that day become this day? Well, that day that Jesus spoke of became this day when Jesus went to the cross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the change took place on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus bore the sins of the whole world. You see, the reason why you and I and they at that time could not enter the whole of holies and the Spirit of God could not live in them was because the sin problem was a problem. 
legally, they were under condemnation and judgment. It was illegal for people under the condemnation of the law to enter the presence of a holy God and live. But the law said the soul that sinneth must die. And so for their protection, God the Father had to distance himself. And until the sins of the world were dealt with, until the law was fully, fully satisfied, until every sin ever committed by every man had been paid for, no man could come into the presence of God and live. But on Calvary, somebody said, thank God for Calvary. On Calvary, he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we who were sinners by nature would become the righteousness of God in Christ. On Calvary, he who was innocent became guilty so that the guilty can become innocent. On Calvary, Jesus became the sin of the world and he suffered and died and paid the price for every man, every woman. Are you hearing me? He was judged with your judgment, condemned with your condemnation, suffered your sufferings, faced the full wrath of God, and did not get off that cross until he could say it is finished. Every sin, every sin from Adam to, to, to yours, to whatever sins will ever be committed by any man into the future. On Calvary, the Son of God became sin and did not die until he has suffered the sins of the whole world. And then he shouted, it is finished. And with that declaration, he was declaring all of the legal issues that separated you from God and God from you, that made it illegal for you to come into the presence of God and live. All of those issues that flow from the broken law and your sinfulness have been completely resolved. There's no longer a case against you. There's no longer a sin charged to your account. The Bible puts it this way. In him we have received redemption. Say redemption. And then it defines what redemption is. The forgiveness of our sins. That day became this day after Jesus Christ paid the price for the sins of the whole world. Ah, but, 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 but it became this day on the day of Pentecost. When Jesus who said, after I ascend, I am going to send the Holy Spirit who is with you, but then shall be in you. And on the day of Pentecost, as they were gathered together, 120 of them, just like Jesus promised, the scripture says, the heavens opened. And there came from heaven a rushing mighty wind. And the Holy Spirit descended upon them. But he did not just descend upon them, he entered them. And on that day that we call Pentecost, the church was created. The day God created the church to be his body, lived in and inhabited by the Holy Spirit. On that day, everything changed in the kingdom. On that day, the veil was completely removed. On that day, you and I not only got to enter the Holy of Holies, we literally became the Holy of Holies. Because on that day, God came in to live in us, the church. And now every single day, unlike their day when they could not dare come near unto the Father live, in this day, God the Father God the Son, God the Holy Spirit literally lives in us. And so not only do we enter his presence, we now are the carriers and containers of his presence. 24-7 in this day, Christ inhabits the church.
Maybe you've heard it so often, it no longer moves your heart. But raise your hand and say, thank you, Lord, that in this day, not only do I get to enter the Holy of Holies, I have become the Holy of Holies. Christ lives in me. The Spirit lives in me. The Father lives in me. Now I can literally live in the presence of God and not die. Now I can come into his presence boldly. And now I can talk to him about everything. And I don't have to go through my pastor. I don't have to go through the prophet. I don't have to go through the bishop. I can talk to him about my wife. And my bishop doesn't know. I can talk to him about my husband. And my pastor doesn't know. I can complain about my boss. And my boss doesn't know. I can talk to him about anything and everything. I can talk to him about my business, my marriage, my children, my church. My career, my spiritual struggles. I can talk to him even about my bad attitude. I can talk to the father directly and he will not become angry with me. He will not pour out his wrath upon me. He will not dismiss me from his presence. He will give me his undivided attention. Raise your hand and say, thank you, God, for this day. It's a new day in the kingdom. What those that lived in the day of Jesus longed for, what the prophets yearned for but never experienced, you and I get to experience it every day. The problem is that we don't acknowledge it. The problem is we're not conscious of it. And therefore, we are not fully taking advantage of this new reality. We live in a day when Jesus said, your relationship with the Father now is and can be so intimate that really I don't even need to pray for you because you can pray to the Father yourself. And guess what? He says, when you pray with the Father, he will hear you. The next time you pray, go boldly. The next time you pray, go confidently. The next time you pray, decide you're going to spend as long as you want. You're going to relax there and just fellowship with the Father. That's a privilege Jesus died for you and me to have. So this day is that day he spoke of. And the reason it's this day, because he has, by his death, by his sacrifice, dealt with the legal issues. There is no law anymore that keeps you from God's presence. He has qualified you, made you accepted in the beloved. But, but okay, okay, that's, that's one reason that this day is that day. But, but here's another thing I want you to see. Why is it now that Jesus is saying, in this day, I don't even have to pray for you. You really don't need me to talk to God for you at all. Because you can talk to God yourself, and the Father will actually hear you. Why? Here's another reason, and it's all in the text. We can't, we can't go too, too much into detail because of time. He says, heretofore, no one asked in my name. In the day before this day, they didn't have the privilege to pray in his name because they couldn't pray in his name until he had dealt with the legal issues. But now that the legal issues have been dealt with, Jesus is saying, I don't need to pray for you because guess what? You get to use my name now when you pray. You have the legal right, the legal authority to approach the Father and you don't have to approach the Father in your name. You can actually approach the Father now in my name. And if you approach the Father in my name, the Father will hear you. 
So I don't need to pray for you because you get to pray in my name. Now, the name is a game changer. Moses couldn't pray in the name of Jesus. Abraham couldn't pray in the name of Jesus. John the Baptist couldn't pray in the name of Jesus. But in this day, the day of the church, the church age, the age of grace, every believer, member of the body of Christ has this awesome privilege. You get to talk to the Father and to make your petitions and ask for help. You can do it boldly because every time you come into his presence, you get to come into his presence using the name of Jesus. That name is a key that gives you access. That name is a key that unlocks doors. That name is a key that will get prayers answered. That name is a key that will cause demons to tremble. That name is a key that will work miracles. That name is a key that will make everything possible. My goodness, you get to come into the Father's presence and to pray, but you get not only to pray, you get to use the name of Jesus as you pray. Now let me explain, let me explain. I have a beautiful wife that loves me and whom I love. Now, if Pastor Chris had a need, and Pastor Chris said, DJ, or you know, when, she, when, she's, when she's very pleased with me, she says, sweetheart. <laughs> sweetheart, huh? I, listen, I, 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 I have a real urgent need right now and I need a few thousand dollars. If Pastor Chris comes to me herself and says to me, sweetheart, I have an urgent need. I need help right now. I need a few thousand dollars. I got a few thousand dollars in my account. Pastor Chris would get the few thousand dollars she needs. All I got to know is Pastor Chris needs that amount of money. Are you hear me? I love her that much. That without hesitation, if she needs me, I'm going to come running to help her. How many of you love your wife that much? Just a few of these men. How many of you husbands, how many of you wives love your husband that much? Even fewer wasting their hand. <laughs> but, but the truth is, if you really love someone, you would do whatever you can to help them. Why? Because you love them. So if Pastor Chris has a need and I'm able to meet that need, that need is going to get met. And, it, and she's going to be first in line. I love the rest of you, but not like her. So you, I, I may be considering a number of requests, but as soon as her request comes, it goes to the front of the line. All right? But guess what? Even if Pastor Chris, for some reason, could not come, let's say she's in a foreign country. And she's not able to reach me personally. She's not able to talk to me directly. But she's able to get the message to someone who I have confidence in. And that person comes to me and says, Bishop, Pastor Chris sent me. And she said that she has this urgent need for a few thousand dollars. My brother and sister, whether it's Pastor Chris herself uttering the request or somebody is uttering it in her name, I will respond to a request in her name just as quickly as a request that she made directly because her name and her are the same. There's no way I will say yes to her personal request that comes out of her mouth and then say no to a legitimate real request in her name that comes to me. As long as it is in her name, as far as I'm concerned, it is she. Is that clear? Now you understand why Jesus said, I don't have to pray for you. It's not necessary. Because I could talk to God for you, but I don't have to. Because you are authorized to go to the Father. I give you permission to go to the Father and use my name and tell the Father you're making requests because of who I am. And you are authorized 
to make that request by me, just use my name and you will get the exact response from the Father using my name as you would get if I myself was making that request. Hey man, you're, the way you're all looking, I don't know if you're getting it. This is so important for you not to get it. You see, because many of you say, if only Jesus was here. If only Jesus was here, or if only this man of God was here to pray for me, or only if Jesus was here physically to pray, then I know God the Father will hear me. Jesus said, no, 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 that's not true. I don't need to be there. I do not need to be the one making the request. I don't need to. All you got to do when you go to the Father, go to the Father in my name, and the Father will respond to my name in the same way he will respond to me personally. Jesus is saying there's no difference in the Father's response. The Father will never say to you, well, if Jesus was making a request himself, I would listen, but since it's in his name, I won't honor it. Oh my goodness. If, if, if we can grasp this, our confidence when we pray will go to another level. Can you imagine Jesus making a request to the Father and the Father saying no? Then you ought not to imagine a request being made in the name of Jesus and the Father saying no to the name. For to say no to the name is to say no to him. If you disrespect my name, you have disrespected me, whether I'm there or not. If you honor my name, you have honored me, whether I'm there or not. If the father disrespects the name of Jesus, he has disrespected the son. If the Father honors the name of Jesus, which he always does, he honors the Son. What a privilege we have in this day that they did not have. We can approach him in his name. Well, let me take it one more step because I really want you to get this. So here's another illustration. You want to buy a car. You go to the bank. You don't have the money. You present the application to the bank and say, uh-uh, that kind of credit you got, 500-something. How much money you make, uh-uh. How much you got in your account, checks are bouncing. The bank could say, you know what, we really want to make some money by lending, but no thanks. And you will go home without one cent for that car. Why? Because your credit is poor. Listen to me. Don't ever try to get anything from the bank of heaven using your credit. Amen. I mean, if you know, if you know you got poor credit, please don't embarrass yourself. Don't even bother to go to the bank. If your credit is bad, you got no income, you got nothing, don't, don't embarrass yourself. Save yourself the trouble of hearing no. Don't go to the bank of heaven and try to make withdrawals using your credit. Because the Bible says regarding your credit, it's as filthy rags. Your credit is, <laughs> what word should I use? Useless. Don't make the mistake that the Pharisee made when he came to pray to God. Jesus said the Pharisee came and he was trying to get his answer based upon his credit. He wanted to do business with God and he brought up his righteousness. And begin to say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. And when God looked at this, he says, <laughs> Jesus says, the man went home with nothing. In fact, Jesus said he was praying to himself. In other words, the bank of heaven wasn't even listening. 
because heaven had already evaluated his credit and said there's no way on the basis of his credit or his own righteousness he can qualify or earn any merits from this bank. He should have just saved himself the trouble. Don't make the mistake. Now, what you could do if you wanted that car is that you could go to Daniel. You see Daniel? Daniel, come and raise your hand. Daniel's a government official. Come and raise your hand, Daniel. Daniel has a lot of money. You see that red tie? Daniel, please stand. Let the people see. Come on, Daniel, stand. You got to listen to your pastor. <laughs> you, that, is, that is Mr. Daniel Coroma. <laughs> so if you were to go to Daniel and say, Daniel, listen, man, I, I want a car. I just, my credit is poor. And Daniel, who has a lot of money and has stellar credit, A+, plus, if Daniel then, who makes a lot of money, has a lot of money, his kind of stellar credit, A+, plus, decides that he is going to co-sign, he's going to give you the benefit of his name. And he signs his name and then makes available to the bank his income, his bank account, his credit history. Listen to me. Not only will they be ready to give you the 20000 they'll say, well, you know what? You don't have to buy a used car. You could actually get a new car because with this kind of credit and this kind of money and this man's signature, how much do you want? All of a sudden, your own credentials, your own performance have no relevance because the decision now is being made not on the basis of your name, but on the basis of Daniel's name. My brother and sister, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying in this age, this day that you're living in, you don't have to come to God and try to make withdrawals and get answers to prayer based upon your performance. You don't have to produce your righteousness, produce your good works, produce your perfect obedience. Because the fact is, if you come to God on the basis of that, you will be disqualified. So what you need to do is to come now and say, Father, I'm coming and I'm coming in the name of Jesus. And when you come in the name of Jesus, the Father does not even consider your performance, your own righteousness at all. It's as though you don't really exist as it relates to this decision. All he is concerned of is the recommendation or the record of the one in whose name, the one who has signed, the one who backs your request. And if he qualifies for the blessing, you get the blessing that you didn't qualify for. Oh, my brothers and sisters, you got to know that when you use the name of Jesus, Jesus who is righteousness, Jesus who perfectly obeyed God in all things, never once disobeying God, but was obedient unto death. Jesus who is the righteousness of God himself. When you come in the name of Jesus, he, God the Father, does not have to legally consider your own credit or your own position. He only needs to consider the righteousness of Jesus. And when he considers the righteousness of Jesus and he considers the obedience of Jesus and he considers the faith of Jesus and he considers the love of Jesus and he considers the consecration of Jesus, when he looks at Jesus' person and Jesus' works, God the Father doesn't need to consider anything on the basis of who Jesus is and what Jesus does. God makes his decisions concerning your request. That's why you can go into the throne room of grace and come up having found grace, having found help because you went in the name of Jesus. What a name. What a privilege. John the Baptist couldn't use that name. So his prayer life was limited. Moses couldn't use that name. His prayer life was limited. You and I, we get to use the name there is no limit to what we can withdraw, what we can obtain, what we can receive, what the Father can legally give us. No limit because it's based on his righteousness and not ours. His obedience and not ours. And lastly, and now I'm done. This is the one I really, really, I really liked. It, it was different. It, it hit me a little bit differently. Jesus said, you know what? In this day, which was that day, I won't need to pray for you because you will be able to pray to the Father yourself. And I've already given you at least two reasons. There's a third one that has to do with the Holy Spirit, but I'll jump over that. He says, here is a reason 
that I do not have to pray for you. He says, this is a secret. He said, you know what, I'm going to start telling you this plainly. But before when I talked about this stuff, it was in parables. It was not clear. I was not giving you the whole thing. But now that, that I have done what I needed to do with the sin thing, I'm going to expose this thing to you so that you can see it. He says, this is why I won't need to pray for you. Because the Father himself loves you. No, you, you didn't hear me. Jesus said, you know what? You always thought that I needed to pray to the Father because you knew the Father loved me. And the Father will hear me because the Father loved me. And that's true. Jesus, if you read his, the gospel, especially the gospels of John, Jesus will always talk about how the Father loves the Son. And the Son loves the Father. And the Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. He was always talking about that. But as he talked about how much the Son loves the Father, the disciples thought the Son loved the Father, but not really, or the Father loved the Son, but not really them. Jesus loved them, but did the Father love them? And Jesus said, now I'm going to show you something. Guess what, he says. You know why I don't need to actually pray for you? That is not necessary? Because God the Father actually loves you. Please go to verse 27 of John 16. God the Father actually loves you. And Jesus says, shh, it's a secret. In John chapter 17, when he's praying, he says, Father, not only do you love them, he says, you love them as much as you love me. For the Father, everybody say that, for the Father himself loves you. I don't need to pray for you I don't need to persuade God, the Father. I don't need to convince God. You don't need me to convince God to hear you, to bless you, to answer your prayers. Because guess what? The Father actually loves you. He has chosen you. And he loves you. And this is a secret. But now he's making it known. As much as he loves me. Now, I don't know about you, but that is far beyond my ability to comprehend. Can you imagine what that would do for you? What that would do for your faith? What that would do for your prayer life? What that would do for your life? If you ever came to truly understand that the Father himself loves you and loves you as much as he loves Jesus? That he doesn't love Jesus any more than he loves you? If you grasp that, your life changes forever. If you grasp that, your faith changes forever. Everything about you, your emotions, your decisions, your behavior, Everything changes when you get up in the morning. If you're able to get up every morning and know that not only does Jesus love you, but the Father himself loves you. And he loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. No wonder Paul was always praying, grant them the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of of Jesus, grant that the eyes of their understanding will be opened, cause them to know the length, the breadth, the height, and the depth of his love. That love that passeth all understanding. Paul was always praying that because, to be honest, we will never exhaust the revelation of his love because it's beyond measurement. But God says, even though you can't understand it and you will never understand it because it passes understanding, keep trying to understand it. 
Oh, keep praying for more understanding. Keep seeking greater understanding. Keep pursuing greater and greater understanding of the height, the length, the breadth, and depth of God's love. Of the God who created the universe. That You know, scientists keep discovering that the universe is bigger than they thought. Amen. And they keep discovering that this universe is endless. So they're on a search to find the end of the universe. They will never find it. They will spend the next thousand years and there will be more and more and more and more of the universe to discover. Ladies and gentlemen, that's nothing. The universe is nothing compared to the size of God's love. You and I will spend eternity. Let's start now. Seeking to understand on a journey to understand the love of God. Let's keep pursuing it because the more we discover he loves us, the more we'll discover there is to be discovered. Are you hearing me? And so let's pursue this journey. Let's ask God for the revelation. May the Holy Spirit who now lives in us give us this revelation of the depth and height and breadth of God's love. And after you have searched and you discover that it's 1,000 miles deep and it's 1,000 miles wide and it's 1,000 miles long and you begin to comprehend and meditate upon that, you realize we still haven't come to the end. It's, it's, there's still more to go. And you dig another thousand miles, and you see that the love of God is still, still deeper than that. Listen to me. You and I will never exhaust the revelation of God's love, but may we continue to pursue that revelation all the days of our lives, and we will spend eternity pursuing the revelation of the love of God. Hallelujah. And it is that revelation of God's love that changes us and changes everything. Say, God, open the eyes of my understanding that I may know the length, the depth, the height, and the breadth of your love. It's beyond measure, but go ahead and try to measure it. And after you measure it and you determine this, this is why I realize you're just starting. Keep on measuring. Keep on measuring. Keep on measuring. Keep on measuring. Spend all the days of your life measuring, expanding, and measuring, and discovering more and more and more and more of how much, not just Jesus, but the Father himself loves you. This is how Jesus put it. He says, man, fear not, little flock. He says, it's the Father's pleasure. One translation says, it makes the Father very happy to give you his kingdom. I don't need to pray for you, said Jesus, because if you only knew how much the Father loves you and how happy the Father is to give you his kingdom, you will realize my prayers for you are not necessary. I don't have to persuade the Father for him to answer your prayer. He is motivated by his own love for you. And in fact, it was his love for you that caused him to send me, says Jesus. It was because of his love for you that he sent me to go to the cross, to deal with the legal issues, so that you and him can have this kind of intimate presence and relationship all the time. My goodness. What are we doing with this love? After the father paid this kind of price through the son, what are we doing with this love? What are we doing with this God? Who is our father? Wow. The purpose of life is to know him. To know him and to know his love. May you spend the rest of your day on earth getting to know him and then when you leave this world and pass on into eternity spend eternity discovering him getting to know him his love is endless <laughs> Moses didn't know it Abraham didn't know it but we do The Holy Spirit no longer lives outside of us in the man Jesus. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of us, even as we are in Christ. Wow. This is a new day in the kingdom. Stand on your feet. I want us to conclude by reading 
a passage of scripture that will focus you again on the love of God. Now, this is taken again from the, uh, the Passion Translation. So we can't read it, but I want you to listen as I read this. Listen to me. And this is Paul. Paul had talked about the love of God. He had talked about all that God had done for us in Christ to deal with the sin issue because of his love. And then Paul concluded in Romans chapter 8, and he starts this discussion from verse 31. He says, so what does this all mean? If God has determined to stand with us because he loves us, tell me, who then could ever stand against us? If the Father himself loves you, if the Father, through Jesus, has dealt with the legal issues of sin that were against you, if the Father has put his spirit in you so that the whole of holiness now is inside of you, if the Father has given you the right to use the name of Jesus, who then can stand successfully against you or against me? For God has proved, has demonstrated his love by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold from us anything else he has to give. If the Father himself loves us so much that he did not spare his son but gave his son for us, then certainly his love for us will cause him not to withhold any good thing from us. What good thing do you need? Know this day, the Father will not, cannot, shall never withhold that. How can he give Jesus and then withhold something far less than Jesus to you who he loves? That's why when you pray, Jesus said, believe you receive. Because it's the Father's good pleasure to give you, it makes him happy to give you his kingdom. Hallelujah. Who then would dare to accuse those whom God loves, whom God has chosen in love to be his? Who will accuse us? God himself is the judge who has issued his final verdict over us. And what is the verdict? Not guilty. Come on, everybody say that. Not. So you can go to the Father because you're not guilty. That's the verdict. The Father has given the verdict. Because he loves you, he found a way to satisfy the law so that now he can legally say to those whom he loves, not guilty. Raise your hand to heaven. Say, Father, not guilty. Say, Satan, not guilty. Say, self, conscience, not guilty. Say, circumstances, not guilty. And because you're not guilty, there is no legal reason to withhold from you the things you have need of. Oh my goodness. Who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one. For he gave his life for us, and even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he, Jesus, possibly condemn us? Since he is continually praying for our triumph. Who could ever divorce? Who could ever separate us? Now watch this. Who, what can ever divorce or separate us from the endless love? That's what the passage says. Oh my goodness. Say endless love of God. Do you know God's love for you is endless? And that's why I told you. We're on a journey that never ends. Why are you weeping? Why are you crying? When the Father loves you with an endless love. Why? When the Father has chosen you to love. Turn to the person next to you say, I would love for you to love me. But at, at the end of the day, whether you love me or not, <laughs> the one who really matters loves me and his love for me 
is endless. Oh, learn to relax in the knowledge of that love. Learn to draw comfort from the reality of the endless love of God for you. Hmm. Who could ever divorce us from the endless love of God? And the answer comes back here, absolutely no one. For nothing in the universe has the power. Watch this. Nothing in the universe has the power to diminish his love towards you. Your sins, as wrong and grievous and wicked as they are, do not have the power to diminish God's love for you. It has no effect upon the love of God for you. And God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Troubles cannot diminish that love. Pressures and problems are unable to come between us and heaven's love. Nothing can come between you and God's love for you. What about persecutions? No. Deprivations? No. Dangers? No. Death threats? No. No. I love this. Watch this. For all of these things are impotent to hinder omnipotent love. You're not happy, oh, but I'm happy. Say hallelujah. Not only is his love endless, we discover his love for me is omnipotent. And nothing, no matter what it is that comes against me, is strong enough to stand and survive the presence of omnipotent love. Love that is all-powerful. Love that cannot fail. Love that casts out our fears. Love that makes me more than a conqueror. For we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Come on, say, I thank you, God, for your endless love for me. I praise you, God, for your omnipotent love for me that makes me more than a conqueror. So, so here's how Paul concluded in the light of this endless omnipotent love and based upon the revelation he had, which he was still growing in. This is how Paul concluded the passage. He says, in the light of omnipotent love, in the light of endless love, I live with the confidence that there is nothing in the universe that has the power to separate me from God's love. He says, I'm convinced that his love for us will triumph over death, over life's troubles, over fallen angels, over dark rulers in the heavens. There's nothing in our present or future circumstances that can weaken his love. There's no power above us or beneath us, no power that could ever be found in the universe that can distance us from God's passionate love, which is lavished upon us through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. Say endless love, omnipotent love, passionate love, lavished on me. Do you see why Jesus, even Jesus doesn't have to pray for you? Do you see why you can't actually pray for yourself and the Father will hear you and answer you? Do you see why you should leave here on a journey for the rest of your life and throughout eternity discovering the love of God and seeking to get to know him more and more? Oh, may God, by his spirit, answer the prayer of Paul. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may comprehend more and more the length, the breadth, the depth, and height of his great love. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now... Oh, let's practice. Let's practice. Put your hand on, your, on yourself. Because, you know, you're going to leave here, and as soon as you leave here, you're going to face a devil. You're going to face a test. You're going to feel a trial. You're going to meet somebody who will get on your nerves. <laughs> that person might be your husband <laughs> or your wife. 
you know what you need to do? Uh, the ambassador just put his hand on his head. <laughs> Her head was bowed. She didn't see you when you did that. <laughs> but put your hand somewhere in your body. And just like Jesus made in his practice to say the father loves the son, I want you to say that concerning yourself as a son or a daughter. Say the father loves his son. If you're a daughter, say the father loves his daughter. Come on, say, when you face a trial tomorrow, before you get afraid, anxious, sad, depressed, put your hands in the father loves his daughter. Come on, say it. Say it. The father loves his daughter. Don't just say it once. Jesus was always saying it. The father loves his son. The father loves his son. If, when the doctor gives you a bad report, put your hand on yourself and say, the father loves his daughter. The father loves his son. Amen. When you go to work and maybe they fire you, don't, don't lose it. Put your hand on yourself and say, look, the father loves his daughter. The father loves his son. When you're facing a test, even spiritually, it seems like you're failing. Put just your hand on your heart and remind yourself and keep saying, the father loves his son. The father loves his daughter. Uh, with omnipotent love, with passionate love, with endless love, the father. Listen, keep saying that. Every day, face every difficulty, every problem, every challenge. Because the Bible says love never fails and love casts out fear. Face every test and challenge for the rest of your life. Saying this to yourself, over yourself. And even when you're ministering to people who are worried, put your hand on them and help them to say, the father loves his daughter. The father loves his son. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Let's give the Lord some praise.